Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ned Bellavance, Ned1313 on Twitter, and welcome to the Daily Check-In for December 16th, 2020. It's a Wednesday, and I got my Ned in the cloud sign up, and it is time for a little tech analysis. This will be the last of five videos I do for Tech Field Day 22, because there were five vendors, and we got five videos. It's like a $5 foot long. Am I allowed to say that? Am I going to get in trouble? I hope not. Anyway, so this video is about the was actually the first presenter of the week and will be my last video. So that's fitting. And that is Quantum. And I'm going to talk a little bit about their on-premises solution called ActiveSync because that's what they wanted to talk about. So that's what I'm going to talk about. But before we get into that, I just want to remind everyone that if you are interested in becoming a Tech Field Day delegate, you can. All you have to do is go to techfieldday.com and go to their become a delegate page and fill out some information. And if you meet the criteria, you might be invited to become a delegate. And it's pretty cool when you're doing it remote, but as we move back to in-person stuff next year, it's even cooler because you get to go places, get cool swag, be the first to see interesting presentations, and then make your opinion and the opinion of your coworkers or associates heard. It's awesome. So I uh, highly recommend if you are interested in that sort of thing and you want your voice to be heard, go for it. That out of the way, let's check in. How you doing? It's Wednesday. Is it snowing where you are? Because it's snowing where I am and the snow is coming down hard. I've had a winter storm warning on my phone for two days and it's finally here. It's, we're going to get a foot of snow, which is probably not a lot for some people and is a shocking amount for others. For Pennsylvania, it's just about right. And really, we haven't had this much snow in a couple of years. It's been two very mild winters. So we might be in for, ooh, might be in for a long one, I guess. We'll see. Let's talk about quantum. Okay, so just a level set here. I have known who quantum is for a long time because the very first tape library that I connected and set up and got and started using with I want to say it was backup exec. I, yeah, I think it was backup exec back in the day. It was a quantum tape drive and it held 12 tapes. And for me at the time, I was like, wow, that's a lot of tapes. I think we ended up buying three of them and had one attached to each backup server. And that was the only way we could get all of our backups done full backups every night, not incrementals, not differentials. We did full backups every night because that is just the way we were and you'd think that would make life easier but it didn't always anyway so <laughs> that's neither here nor there the point is quantum has been in the game for a long time they have been as a company about 40 years and they've been focused on data and storage so what have they got going on now they've been trying to make the transition to cloud native type technologies. And the thing that they decided to present on for Tech Field Day was all about their active scale product. So let's level set. What is this product? It is object-based storage that is S3 API compatible, but it runs on premises on their hardware. You can customize it, but it runs on premises. They wrote the software for it. They know how it works and it's S3 compatible. Like I said, that's the product. And in case you're wondering, why would you purchase such a thing? Well, the use cases that they outlined were numerous. You might have archival needs. You might have streaming media needs where you wouldn't necessarily think of object storage as good at streaming, but it actually is because it's really good at sequential reads. 
and the back end is relatively cheap in terms of cost of storage. You'll know that if you've ever gotten an S3 bill for a few terabytes, you're like, oh, that's actually not that bad. I'm throwing a lot of data there. That's that's nice. So it's a little it's it's lower cost than throwing everything on an SSD array. And for certain applications like streaming, it works just fine. For archival stuff, it works. If you have an object-based, object storage-based system, and you don't mind a little delay in access time while it finds the file and starts streaming it to you, then this is the sort of thing that might make sense. And when I say a little bit of time, I'm not talking minutes. This isn't Glacier. I'm talking milliseconds. But sometimes those milliseconds matter when you're looking for nanosecond storage. So this is not that. You're not going to get nanosecond storage. But if you're okay with the speed and your application works, here's a way to get a whole bunch of low-cost storage as long as you can use object-based storage. So that's who this is targeted at. Now, like I said, the ActiveScale product is S3 compatible, which means if you wrote something to use the S3 API, you could use that same software, but target it at the ActiveScale product, and it should work the same. That's good. That's, that's kind of exciting. Now, the thing that they made pains to point out is there are other products in the field that are also S3 API compatible. But the vast majority of those products are actually an NFS or a, just a regular file system that someone has you know, slathered on an API ingestion layer, an API uh, abstraction layer on top. So you're not actually getting object storage at the, at the core of the storage system. It's still just a traditional file system. It just happens that they threw an API gateway on the front to interpret the S3 commands for the file system, which means you don't get the benefits of object-based object storage when it comes to capacity and the way that it lays out the storage because it's actually just a traditional file system underneath. They are not doing that. <laughs> they are doing true object storage the whole way down. So in order to do that, they have created what's called an access layer and a data layer. So what's the access layer do? That's the thing that holds the metadata about where all the different objects are stored. And we're not talking about like tens of thousands, we're talking millions of objects here that it can store. And they said virtually unlimited. I, I have my own opinions. When anybody says unlimited or nearly infinite, I'm like, is it really? Is it? Because I mean, iNodes are a thing. But anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that. The point is it's extremely scalable and they've got this metadata layer that holds where all the objects are and then some metadata about those objects. And that's held in this access layer on SSDs. And it's a key value store basically. And they shard it and it's, but it's strongly consistent. So the important thing to understand is you're gonna have multiple copies of this meta of each shard. And when a new object is written, or something about that object is updated, it is strongly consistent, which means it writes that out to every instance of the shard before it allows it to commit. This is something that even S3 didn't have until very recently, in part because it's hard to put together and there are some performance penalties for it. But the nice thing is when you write something and then you immediately do a get for that object, you're definitely gonna get that object back. Whereas sometimes you might not, if it's eventually consistent because the shard you hit might not be consistent yet and doesn't know about this object. So that's good to know. 
that's definitely going to help you from a performance standpoint and just a general functionality standpoint. And like I said, that's been introduced to S3 now as well. So that, you know, in a sense, AWS is catching up with ActiveScale. That's kind of cool. So what else did they have to say? On the access layer, like I said, it's the metadata, the global namespace, and then it handles API list and head stuff. And then the data later does the put and get. So if you have to find an object, you're going to hit that metadata access layer. And then when you actually want to get the object, you'll do a get against the data layer. The data layer is what's managing all the substrate storage. And it's interesting the way that they went about that. They're basically using JBODs. And within the JBODs, they're not using RAID at all. There's no RAID here. You're not doing RAID 10 or 50 or whatever weird combination. And you might be like, oh no, my data, it's not durable. What's going to happen to it? And instead, they're doing data dur durability through erasure coding and replicas of uh, or enough pieces of it across enough drives that when you lose a specific drive, you'll never lose all of an object. The whole idea is you, in erasure coding, is you basically take uh, a blob of data and you dice it up, and then you do some computations, some parodies, basically, and then you spread that stuff across multiple nodes. And the idea is you can reconstruct the data by assembling a subset of what you have stored in these different nodes. So if one of those nodes dies, if one of those drives dies for some reason, all you have to do is recompute whatever that parity chunk was and recreate it on a different disk drive and you're up and running. Anyone who's worked with RAID knows when you have to rebuild a drive from RAID, that can take hours or even days, depending on what's going on with your array. This is way faster and more efficient, and it really does make sense. That's why erasure coding is huge in the world of storage, because it's faster than RAID in some regards. So that's kind of cool. They're making more efficient use of their hard drives and drive failures don't matter. And you can stretch this cluster across sites. So now you can have, a, you have site resilience, you have high durability of your data, and it's highly available and like ridiculously scalable because it's object storage. You have, you know, virt virtually unlimited storage. So the solution's pretty cool. Is this for you would be like the main question. Is this something that makes sense for you? And here's what I'm gonna say about that. There's a few things you have to consider. Number one, do you meet, does your business requirements meet any of the use cases that they've outlined? Are you trying to stream media? Do you have to do archival storage? Number two, do you need this to be on premises? Because you're gonna have to host this hardware somewhere and maintain it and all that kind of jazz. So if it's easier for you to use the cloud and there's no regulatory or compliance reasons or performance reasons that you can't put it up in the cloud, then probably just put it up in the cloud. I mean, you know, it, it makes more sense in most cases. Number three, do you actually, if you're going to put it on-prem, do you have the rack space and do you have the in-house know-how to manage and maintain the system? And then the fourth one you have to consider is there are on-prem versions of object store from the major public clouds. And just as an example, AWS has Snowball. Could you get away with just throwing a Snowball down wherever you needed storage on-prem? Now, Snowball is not necessarily a long-term solution because the idea is you fill up a Snowball and then you ship it back to AWS. 
but you can leave it on-prem and have it serve up data and then sync data. I, I believe you can do that. And you can do that with Azure uh, Stack Edge, which used to be Databox. So you, like, you've got options that aren't this, but if you meet the use cases and you need it on-prem, this seems like a really good solution. So those are my thoughts on the presentation from Quantum. And that wraps it up for Tech Field Day 22 for me. I hope you've been enjoying this videos. You know, if you have been enjoying this videos and you want to support me in some way, you know what? I have these patrons. They're, they're so nice. And I want to thank both Tor and Marco for getting on my Patreon. The link is down in the description. And for ponying up for the big burrito tier, which is awesome. That means I get to eat a delicious burrito from that money. Uh, you can get your name up in this box. It's small, but it could get bigger. And you can do that if you support me at the empanada or big burrito levels. But if that doesn't work and you just want to do single taco, that's okay. I don't mind. Any small amount of help you can give is appreciated. If you watch any of my home labbing stuff, you know the Turing Pi 2 is coming out. And I'm going to try to buy that along with some compute module 4s for Raspberry Pi to build an ESXi cluster. That's going to be expensive. So any help you can give me would be like appreciated. Uh, like, like I said, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for watching. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe out there. Bye for now.